listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome to the show. This is Aaron Fishman bringing you a brand new episode. Los Angeles Clippers are back in the playoffs after a slew of injuries doomed their chances a year ago. Although it'll be the franchise's seventh appearance over the last eight years, it's somewhat unexpected if we're going off preseason projections. Tomera Zarli, Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points, joins me this time to help capture the magic of the Clippers' 2018-19 season. He also explores the team's most likely first-round opponents, details Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell's electrifying synergy off the bench, explains why Pat Beverly is, quote, unstatable, and previews the organization's monumental offseason ahead, and so much more as well. But first, on Tomer himself. The young reporter knows how to skateboard, and he's gone rappelling off a cliff. He just doesn't know how to ride a bicycle. I won't ask him to, either. Adept Clippers analysis will more than do the trick. Tomer, I'm really excited to dive into this Clippers discussion. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me, Aaron. It's my pleasure. Preseason, so many experts were talking about how the Clippers wouldn't make the playoffs in such a deep conference. It seemed like it was a general consensus, although there were some who who said they might squeak in. All season, it seemed like they kind of took on that underdog mentality and that it fueled them and lifted their play. Where were you projecting them to finish before the season began? Uh, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I didn't have them as a playoff team. Um, Mm -hmm. I did have them as a team who would get at least 45 wins probably, uh, 44, 45 wins, uh, just based off the fact that they got 42 last year and they went through a slew of injuries. Uh, so I thought if they stayed healthy, they could reach 44 to 45. Now, I thought that the Western Conference would require you to have at least 50 wins, 52 wins to get into the playoffs. You know, We came in with a lot of expectations for the Rockets, the Nuggets, the, the Timberwolves who had Jimmy Butler at the time, um, the Jazz, the Lakers with LeBron James. So I think they've really exceeded expectations. I didn't I didn't have them as a playoff team, but it's it's been fun to watch. Yeah, it's weird. I had them as a seventh seed. There are too many teams that I mean, you think they're gonna make it and unexpected things happen, like with the Timberwolves, Lakers. I just thought based on what they did the previous season, just how scrappy they were and with um adding the lottery pick and Shea Gilgis Alexander. I don't know. I'm not that surprised, but it is, if you take a step back and look at it, it is pretty surprising just given how deep the Western Conference was going into it. And a bunch of that is also just, you know, the Clippers squeaked out so many wins this year that they probably shouldn't have. You know, in that six-game road trip, they had three 20-plus point comeback victories, um, Mm -hmm. which right now looks like probably the season for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had the stretch at home when they beat the Warriors in overtime. 
They beat the Bucks in overtime on Lou Williams game winner, and then they beat the Spurs in a close one. That was all in the span of like six days. So they squeaked out a couple that they really needed to win. But give them credit. They've, they've been balling out this year. One of the main reasons, I think, and we're, we're going to go over a lot of the reasons why they're in the playoffs this season, are those super subs, the pairing of Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. They've been historically great off the bench. They're the highest scoring bench duo in NBA history with a minimum of 50 games off the bench for each. They're combining for 36.7 points per game. And they also have an excellent pick and roll rapport with each other. Zach Lowe just did an excellent feature on that pairing. First, generally, what does that one-two scoring punch off the bench do for the Clippers this season? Uh, It's just provided their second unit with basically an unstoppable scoring punch because you have a guy in Lou Williams who can go, uh, you don't want to let him go left, but he finds his way to go left either way. And then Montrez Harrell, they've played together a lot in their Atlanta leagues over the summer. They played in a lot of pickup games, a lot of, uh, you know, Drew League games. So they, they have a lot of experience with each other. They know, you know, Trez knows exactly where Lou likes to have pick set, knows, knows exactly where Lou likes to go on the on the court. And same for Lou. Lou knows exactly where Trez wants the ball. Lou knows the exact points where you can find Trez. And he, they both read defenses pretty well. And I think Montrez Harrell's development as a passer as well has been pretty impressive because their pick and roll game, you know, he he's a good, a really good finisher around the rim. But he also he's also been a good passer out of the pick and roll. Whereas, you know, if he gets and he gets doubled, he's good at finding guys in the corner, kicking it out for corner threes mm-hmm. and, and moving the ball around that way. Uh, they've just been incredible. Uh, and, I mean, they are the highest scoring bench duo in, the M- in NBA history. But just last year, they were actually number four. I just think they've been they've been so crucial to what the Clippers do. And, and if either of them goes down with an injury, they just, they're not at the point they are now. And fun fact also on that list, Lou Williams was number three when he was on the Lakers with Jordan Clarkson, I remember. And this is random. I think if I'm remembering correctly, number two is Ricky Pierce and Phil Pressey. Paul, Paul like Pressey, yeah. They Paul combined Pressey, for 33.9 sorry. points in the 1989-90 season. Yep. <laughs> so that was a cool list. But I really did like that Atlanta Pro-Am snippet that was in that um, Zach Lowe piece and was also in Broderick Turner's LA Times piece earlier. It's interesting how they've been developing rapport now for the last three years. And, and that went back to when they were teammates on the Rockets, too. More specifically, though, on Montrez Harrell, he's getting a lot more minutes and opportunities this year, especially as DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin are no longer on the team. Do you think it's more of just a natural, his improvement is more of a natural outgrowth of those increased opportunities? Or is it something more than that, what he's been doing to perfect his game? I mean, let's not underrate it. He has been working on his game immensely. Early, early in his career, I think he had like an issue with a G League ref. And so he wasn't, he didn't always have the best, I guess, uh, name out there. But let's face it, a lot of the NBA is about opportunity and having the opportunity to shine and having the opportunity to, you know, just, just to get minutes to show what you can do. In Houston, Montrez didn't really have that because he was playing behind Clint Capella, who, as we've seen with the minutes, developed into a, an incredible, you know, two way player now for the Rockets. And, Trez just needed the opportunity. Last year, he, he learned a lot backing up DeAndre Jordan. And I don't know that he's a player who can really start either because he is undersized at the uh, power forward center spot. Um, 
Yeah, backing up DeAndre Jordan, playing alongside Blake Griffin. He he learned a lot. And you're seeing this year that he's he's taking all that and putting it together to have a career year. A lot of that is the opportunity, but a lot of that is also that he's put a lot of a lot of work into his game. I know he's been in the gym mm-hmm. a lot. He's been working a lot with Lou Williams on, on their one-two punch. He's just been doing it nonstop. And it, whenever you ask him about it, he says, I, I, I love it and I have all this energy because I'm just blessed to play the game and I never take it for granted. So his love for the game is pretty much what's fueling him to become better. And I think that, that's the best part about him, that he, he, he is never going to stop trying to be better. Yeah, it's really special to see what those two guys have done off the bench. Lou Williams earlier this season passed Del Curry to be the all-time leading bench scorer in NBA history. And also teammates have never finished one and two in sixth man of the year voting, which kind of makes sense intuitively. I want to get to um, potential first-round matchups for the Clippers. It looks like the Clippers will finish in either the sixth, seventh, or eighth seeds. Just help break that down for me, um, the scenarios. I know it gets a little bit complicated with all the tiebreakers. We don't have to get so specific, but just generally um, what the scenarios are and then also touching on each of the most likely opponents that they'll face. Prior to their game against the Lakers, I think everyone penciled that in as a win. Um, Now that it's been a loss, that complicates things a bit more because they could certainly fall to the eighth seed and uh, see the Warriors in the first round. I think right now, Portland is probably the the matchup they want to see, just because Doc Rivers' teams have experience going up against the Blazers. If you remember the playoff series a couple of years ago, they started the whole thing where they trapped Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and tried to make Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, those guys beat you. Um, now, a couple of years have passed. Those guys have all gotten better. I guess the thing now is that Yusuf Nurkic is out for the year with his, with his leg injury. You never want to see an injury, but from that standpoint... Uh, I, I think the Clippers look at Portland as as a very winnable first-round matchup. The Rockets, I think, are a matchup they really, really do not want to see. As we saw the other day, despite Patrick Beverly being out, uh, the Rockets are just a bad matchup in that James Harden is, is in the midst of the greatest scoring season I've ever seen. He's scoring with ease. He's doing it from the line. He's doing it from the field. He's getting his teammates involved. Uh, Chris Paul, despite having lost a bit of a step, you know, if he gets to his spots in the mid range, he's not missing that shot. Yeah. And then you have Clint Capella who's playing out of his mind. And the other night he had 24 points and 15 rebounds and uh, he made Ivica Zubac look like uh, a nobody out there. The Denver Nuggets pose an interesting, uh, threat, but I, I think their lack of experience and we've seen over the last couple of weeks where they've struggled to sort of have consistency on both ends of the floor. We've seen, you know, Nikola Jokic's sort of lack of um, patience with the with the officials. Teams are really going at him and Jamal Murray in the pick and roll, uh, which I think is a very exploitable scenario for the Clippers. I think they look at Denver as a team also who they could beat despite being healthy because the only the only veteran on, on their team is is Paul Millsap. Other than that, I don't I don't know who else has playoff experience. Maybe Isaiah Thomas, but he's he's out of the rotation right now. And he's not really a defensive mind. He's, he's not going to really help you defensively. So right now, I definitely see the Blazers and the Nuggets as a team they want to face. And the Rockets, I mean, I, I thought they might might have a chance to win or win a game or two against the Rockets. But uh, who knows? Maybe they just weren't showing all their cards last game. But that was a, that was a rough effort to watch. Yeah. I think, I think the Blazers and Nuggets are the best options for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in terms of potentially getting to the second round, upsetting a first round team and getting to the second round. I completely agree with your analysis there. I think even though the Clippers wouldn't admit it for a while after the Nurkic injury, especially, they're really hoping to, to match up against Portland just because they didn't really have anyone defensively, size-wise, that they could really combat him. The loss of the Lakers, though, really puts a dent in their chances to mm-hmm. play the Blazers, though. Yeah, it's really looking like they're not going to be playing Portland because um, from my perspective, Portland could even be passed over by Utah, but still they would probably be in the 4-5 matchup either way, and the Clippers can't finish higher than 6th. And yeah, I, I agree too that Denver, just even though you never want to count out a team that has been that good in the regular season and has so many weapons, they just haven't been in the playoffs much. They have such a young core. And, no, yeah, and not, the Clippers have matched out. up. Right, but just being realistic, and the Clippers have matched up pretty decently against them this season too. The Nuggets are a weird matchup for the Clippers in that I think they won three out of the four games this year. But they played just one game since the, the Clippers made those trade deadline moves. And that was early after the trade. So we haven't really seen the team build that cohesion and that chemistry together. And, and I'd be curious to see how they do in a playoff series. Now, look, if we're talking about storylines, then Houston makes the most sense because then you have Chris Paul facing his old team. You have Austin Rivers versus his dad. Remember the whole locker room you know, thing we had uh, last year? Um, yeah, there are so many. Storylines by themselves. And, and Eric also Gordon just, was drafted by the Clippers. So there's mm-hmm. a ton of storylines there. But in terms of matchups, I don't think the Clippers want to see the Rockets at all. Yeah, and also the super subs that we were talking about, both of them came in that Chris Paul trade. And exactly. Patrick Beverly came over from that trade. So, yeah, definitely the storylines would write themselves. You just alluded to that Tobias Harris trade. And the Clippers made a slew of moves around the deadline this year. Since trading Tobias Harris, who is arguably the Clippers' best player, I think most people would say top two. He was getting the most minutes per game, really solid player in this league. He's gone. So I thought at that point the Clippers were making the decision maybe that they were content not to make the playoffs and they just wanted to get um, some assets in return for Harris, an emerging star who they didn't want to pay as much as he wanted maybe in the offseason. Then the Clippers just kept winning and they were 17 and five since that trade. They lost the last two. So they're 17 and seven since that trade over that stretch. They have the eighth best net rating in the league, fourth best offensive rating at 113.5 points per 100 possessions over that stretch, fourth best true shooting percentage with only the Raptors, Jazz and Warriors better. Um, they're, they're playing at a really high pace. I could just go on and on about the numbers, but how amid all that key player turnover has the team continued to improve so much? Well, I think the one thing that everyone – everyone thought Tobias was the Clippers' best player. Um, I think factoring in his, his youth and the development of his game while also looking at Gallinari's injuries – and I think it's been evident since the trade and since Gallinari has been able to stay healthy that he's – been incredible for them and he's probably their best player mm-hmm. in speaking to some players there was that two-day gap between when tobias was traded and when they made the avery bradley trade and the evita zubat trade and over that two-day period it, w- it was very weird in that players didn't know you know they were just like us they didn't know hey are we are, are we tanking are we trying to make the playoffs w- what is our end game here because we just got picks from philly we just got a young guy in shamit uh wilson chandler those guys and so once they made the trade 
especially for Vita Zubak, once they got, you know, solid role players in Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple, solid role players, solid veterans who, who have played the game for a while, I think it wasn't that hard for, for them to put it together. Granted, it does take time for that kind of thing, but when you've got guys who've been in the league and, uh, you know, they have good resumes, they haven't had any issues transitioning, it's just been, it's been impressive and it's been fun to watch. I will say that it's almost been like a work in progress, even though they've, they've won a lot of games. Like we said, they were 17 and, uh, and five before this last two game losing stretch. Uh, they did have a lot of close games. You know, let's take that, uh, Nets game, for example. They, they had a 10 point lead with like a minute and a half left and the Nets tied it up. Luckily, Lou Williams hit a game winner. The OKC game, which was impressive, it was a good collective team effort. You know, and Boston too, for example. Those were, I think, ones that I may have prematurely looked at it and said, you know what, maybe those are going to be losses in this homestand. And, and they've just been through the roof in terms of their efficiency uh, on offense and defense. They're, they're defending shots better around the rim now. Uh, they've got a more mobile big man in Zubats, which might be one of the most underrated trades of the year. And they're really just clicking offensively because they have so, so, so many options. You know, you go down the line with, with Gallinari, uh, Lou Williams, they can create their own shots. Patrick Beverly's has become an, an insane spot-up three-point threat. He's also worked on that little mid-range floater uh, from like the 5 to 10-foot area. Uh, Shea Gildas-Alexander's development has been through the roof. I don't even know. I don't have enough good things to say about him and how he's developed over the last couple months. We'll get uh, to him. Landry Shamit, he's been incredible and in that he's sort of filled this weird little jj reddick role for the clippers mm-hmm. um i know doc doesn't like to put that too much on him because landry is his own player he played point guard at wichita, wichita state for three years but just his ability to come off screens and square up uh quickly and, and and knock down shots uh has been crucial for this team it's added another element for them that they didn't have before the trade deadline Joe michael green i i didn't know he was this good of a three-point shooter but here we are He's yeah. been shooting for about 40%, I believe, since coming over in the trade from the Grizzlies. Uh, so that's been great for them. Garrett Temple's been sort of like a stabilizer for them. I love I love how he's come in. He's always been a professional. Whether he plays five minutes or he plays 20 minutes, whether he's coming off with the, with the second unit or with the first unit, he's been a stabilizer in that he, he knows his role. You can go down the line and players have really filled out their roles. And it's impressive to see, but it's also not surprising because, again, you just have a bunch of veterans, a good mix of veterans and youth, um, and everyone just knows their roles. And a lot of that credit also goes to the coaching staff with Doc Rivers, uh, Sam Cassell, just those guys. Rex Kalamian, too, their defensive coach. They've really done a good job of just honing in on everything with this team and getting them to play the right way uh, night in and night out. With hindsight being twenty twenty, it's really easy also to – pinpoint one specific game and it's certainly much more than that but Landry Shamit cited that Boston game that you alluded to February 9th that big comeback win on the road as as maybe just easing the tension for the new team just as all these moving pieces coming together so late in the year Jovan Buha tweeted a number of interesting statistics this is the best foul-drawing team since the 2015-16 season, getting to the line over 28 times per game, which is really impressive. That's helping a lot. And they have all these guys who actually convert uh, a good percentage from the charity stripe, so that's really helpful. They have the fourth-best road record right now. Yep. And um, they're top five in virtually every clutch statistic and fourth-quarter metric that you can find. So all those things 
collectively seem to really be contributing. Let's go to Doc Rivers' Coach of the Year case. I'm assuming that Mike Budenholzer is going to win it, his first season coaching in Milwaukee. He does have Giannis, though. But there are a lot of other good coaches who have cases to be made, Doc Rivers among those. What's his case, and why do you think he'll win or won't win this season? I don't think Doc Rivers will win. Uh, He will probably end up a top three finisher, but um, listen, the Milwaukee Bucks are – they're probably going to win 60 games this year. They're 59 and 20 with three games left. They're probably going to win 60 games. Uh, the way the Pacers have recovered since losing all the depots probably makes a good case for McMillan. But I mean, considering everything the Clippers have gone through and that, you know, they were expected to win by like at the start of the season, ESPN had them at 35 wins. Uh, Westgate, Las Vegas had them at 37 and a half wins. Odd Shark had them at 36 and a half. And they, they, they reached 37 wins about two weeks ago. So it's just been incredible to see how Doc Rivers has really gotten this team to play good team basketball. And I think a lot has been made about him coaching. Uh, his coaching has been you know impressive more than years past. But I think he's really just – when you lack that superstar, I think you just have to uh, – the, the team aspect of the game and, and the X's and O's show up just a little bit more. You know, When you have a Chris Paul, when you have a Blake Griffin, you can throw them the ball and say, hey, get me a basket, make something happen. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of it is those guys wanting to do that as well. Whereas now, um, other than Lou and Gallinari, you really have to have a set offense um, and run plays and, and try to make things happen in the pick and roll. And um, that's not even talking defensively, where the Clippers have really um, improved since the trade deadline. They they, they had Marcin Gortat as their starting center to start the year, which was a struggle, but. Um, since acquiring Zubats, they've just been they've just been incredible on both ends, and um, as you mentioned, as Jovan mentioned, they've been insanely good in, in the clutch. I think they're four and one in overtime this year, or something like that. They've just been great all around. Yeah, specifically too, he's playing rookies this year a lot, and part of that is you you had a lottery pick in Shea Gilgis Alexander, and they made the trade for Landry Shamit, who's been so good for them. So it's a little bit of a different situation, but. He's a guy who's not known for giving rookies many minutes. Well, look, I think the whole Doc doesn't play rookies thing is it maybe a bit overblown. Um, you know, he had a rookie Corey Maggette in Orlando that he played. Um, he had a rookie Rondo in Boston that he played. He had the rookie of the year, Mike Miller, in uh, in Orlando that he played 29, 30 minutes a night. So I think it's just been overblown a bit in that he's had a lot of veterans and they've had a lot of teams that are aspiring yeah, to win. They make the playoffs every year, so you don't really get lottery picks when that happens. Yeah, and then you end you end up with you know a, a twenty one, twenty two, twenty four pick, and mm-hmm. those guys don't always pan out. You have to have a really good you know scouting and, and a good draft just to just to maybe get a guy who can actually play in the rotation. But I will say that he's also not a guy who's just going to say, "Hey, because you were a lottery pick, you're going to play this many minutes a night." We saw that with Shade to start the year. Doc told us multiple times that he was not just going to start games right away just because he was a, a rookie. He had to earn those minutes, especially against uh, guys like uh, Avery Bradley on the team, Patrick Beverly on the team. He's really bought into the youth movement as well, I will say that. But um, he's had veterans for the most part. Um, he's he's also a guy who, uh, to start guys' careers, I think he gives them a bit of a short leash to teach them, you know, hey, this is how you got to play the game. This is how you got to do this. This is how you got to do that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he's he's not really 
he's teaching them from an early, uh, from a young age, how to play the game by having these short leashes on them. And so we've seen now, we've seen, you know, Shea went through his shooting struggles, his, his struggles on both ends, and he's playing lights out basketball right now. Like, you can make the case he's probably their second or third best player over this last couple of weeks. Yeah. Shamit also, a telling stat on him, even though the sample size is a little bit small, he leads the Clippers in on-off net rating at plus 11.8 points per 100 possessions. And I mean, I cited the true shooting percentage over that stretch since those trades and, and he's a huge reason why that's happening. Shooting, I think nearly 44% from beyond the arc. Yeah. He's been incredible for them. And we've seen, we've seen just like yesterday with the loss of the Lakers that, you know, when Shaman doesn't get the ball, you know, when he doesn't at least get looks, the, that means the ball's not moving. Doc said that you know the ball's not moving if Shamit isn't getting more involved in the offense. So it seems like right now they go as far as Shamit goes and as far as the ball movement goes. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they recover from this these last couple of losses in terms of the ball movement. Yeah, I know in talking with you and just a cursory look at your Twitter feed, you'll love talking about Shea Gilgis-Alexander here. January might have been his worst month. Just the minutes were down. He wasn't really going to the basket that much or making his threes in March. It was a ridiculous, not sustainable three point rate. That was, I think like 60% or something. So that's cool. He's not going to shoot 60% from three, but, Oh no, um, <laughs> but like 30, 35, 40%. Like I, I think he can be a really good three point shooter. He's showing that. And the assist to turnover ratio that we saw in March and um, just the frequency in how, how often he would get to the line, those all really impressed me. And um, he's better post-All-Star break than pre-All-Star break. Where's this rookie wall that he was supposed to be hitting? Uh, he hit it briefly, very briefly in January, and uh, he just bounced off that. One of the funny things about that is that he has uh, – Patrick Beverly likes to call it he has the fire and ice and that he has the fire of, of, of Patrick Beverly, uh, you know, to get on his head. And he has the ice, the cool side of Lou Williams to <laughs> help mentor him as well. So he gets the the fiery and then the cool side uh, of mentorship. Now, a lot of times I know his teammates will allude to this, that you don't always need to say something. When he was going through his shooting struggles, they didn't always need to say something to him. Sometimes it was just about him figuring out on his own, figuring out how to how to get through this rookie wall. And uh, I think he's done a great job of that. And I think he's just learned to pick his spots a lot better. He knows when his teammates need the ball now. He knows when to attack a mismatch, when to to give the ball to a teammate to attack a mismatch. He's picking his three-point shots a little better. He had a couple in transition against the Cavs, which impressed me. Um, mm-hmm. Because if he hits those, that's going to be – he's going to be deadly. Um, yeah. I just think it, it, it just comes with, with playing the game uh, for him. I think one of the biggest worries about him coming into the year was his shooting. Uh, would he be able to shoot, you know, well enough from three to be to be not be a liability out there? You know, would he be able to hit the mid range shot off the dribble? Which, um, in fact, a lot of teams were scouting him as a very inconsistent mid range shooter and sort of saying, "Give him that shot early in the year." Mm-hmm. As the year has gone on, you've seen him pick his spots a lot better, find his spots a lot better, learn to maneuver his way to the basket and get his teammates involved. Uh, again, I just I just can't say enough good things about Trey. He's really really figured it out. And I don't even know what the ceiling for him is. It, it, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's really exciting to see. We'll monitor his progress moving forward. To me, also, Patrick Beverly, along with Montrez Harrell, are just the two fiery guys on the team that you could say are the heart and soul, the, 
They just power them. But Beverly has that veteran experience. And we've seen that he's been sorely missed over the last couple games, both losses. He's scoring the lowest amount per game of his career outside of his rookie year. Yet he just does so much all over the court. Talk a little bit about some of those things he provides. Patrick Beverly's impact goes beyond his on-court numbers or whatever he does on the court. Doc Rivers likes to call him unstatable because there is no stat to define how important he is to your team. He holds guys accountable. He holds himself accountable. And he's also very open to listening as well. Uh, just his impact defensively. Like, I mean, no, no offense to the Lakers, but if Patrick Beverly plays last night, I don't think they lose that game because he's just so locked in for all 48 minutes. And he holds guys accountable essentially every play. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, as Clippers players alluded to, alluded to, they took their foot off the pedal once they clinched a playoff spot. And that's coincided with Patrick Beverly's absence. Mm-hmm. Now, once he's able to return, they'll get back on track. Uh, I do know that they want everyone healthy. Uh, he's been dealing with a bit of a hip injury. And I know, you know, we all know the most important thing heading into the playoffs is health. You have to yeah. be healthy. You know, Doc Rivers early in the year touched on how uh, he didn't like sometimes that Beverly sort of gambled a little too often. And we see that with, with some of his uh, ticky-tack fouls that he gambles a little too often. But that's just part of who he is. That's who he is. And and, and that's what makes him uh, special and unstatable, which is what the Clippers love. Yeah. That early February acquisition of Zubots, much has been made about how Jerry West and the front office team pretty much ripped off the Lakers who reportedly were trying to shop Zubots for Tyler Lydon from the Nuggets. They just really wanted to get rid of Zubots for whatever reason, maybe to clear cap space for the next year. What are your thoughts on that acquisition and what Zubots provides, but also the areas where he still needs to improve? From what I understand, the Lakers reached out to the Clippers to trade for him. The Clippers didn't reach out to him, uh, to, to, right. to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think the Lakers' biggest worry is that they didn't want to pay Zubats uh, in restricted free agency. Let's try to get something for him before he just leaves in free agency. Now, they did not really get a good deal. Mike Muscala has played sparingly for the Lakers. I think one of the things that Zubats has really brought to the Clippers is a, a presence around the rim defensively and offensively, an athletic presence. Early in the year, you had Marcin Gortat, who was – He's a big dude, but he's not athletic. He's not going to finish above the rim. You had Montres Harrell, the other big man, and he he's undersized. We, we've talked about he's undersized. He's not big enough to guard opposing fives. Um, Boban Marjanovic is big enough to guard opposing fives, but he's just slow on his feet because he's seven foot uh, seven foot three, seven foot four. He's just slow on his feet. So I think the Clippers acquiring Zubac was big in that he's probably a guy they could you know I could see him starting for them for years to come. And he's only going to get better. Uh, defensively, he's really good. I think he still needs to work on picking his spots better defensively and uh, you know more more communication. That's not to say he hasn't been great because he he really has. He really has stabilized the Clippers' defense. But there's always areas to improve in that aspect. Uh, I think the biggest areas offensively where he can improve is, is is finishing. To say it politely, I think he's a little bit too soft around the rim when it comes to his finishes. Uh, he's he's a great offensive rebounder. But he misses a lot of those putbacks because he's going up soft. Whereas, you know, if he's going up similar to Montrezl Harrell looking to dunk or get fouled every time, he'd probably be a lot more efficient around the rim and probably a lot more effective, frankly. 
So I think from that aspect, he definitely can improve on, on offense. Uh, he, he's a very talented big man. He can hit the mid-range jumper. He's got some post moves as well. But I think his finishing around the rim uh, could really be polished this offseason. And just a quick question about his contract. So you mentioned that he'll be a restricted free agent. And the qualifying offer to keep him is under $2 million. So is it basically that if no one bid on him, then the Clippers could pay him that for next year? But that's highly unlikely given his skills that he's showing at such a young age. So they'll probably have to decide either to match or let him go. He probably is a guy who will get some kind of offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how significant it will be, but he'll probably get something. There's there's teams out there with a lot of cap space this summer Mm -hmm. um, who will probably need a good role player in Zubats to fill out their their roster. I think Zubats has really liked his time here in LA. You know, he, he was traded and it's not often you get traded to a team down the hall where you get to keep your home, keep everything the same. Uh, you still know the city. So I think I think that for him uh, has been big. And he's also winning now. He's on a team that's winning. He's on a team that has a, has a direction. A free agency is hard to predict, as we've seen in the past years. Um, I, I do think he'll get a multi-year offer from some team. And if it's not significant enough, I can definitely see the Clippers matching because if you get yourself a star, Subot becomes a guy who I don't think is even expendable. I think he's a guy you really have to re-sign to fill out your roster in pursuit of a championship. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. This is Billy Bowl of A Wolf Among Wolves, and I am on the NBA beat. Coral Lu from ESPN China. This is the On NBA beat. As we wind down, I think the intensifying rivalry between the Lakers and Clippers, and a lot of it has been off the court, has been really fascinating to watch. It seems like from my perspective, like the Lakers, you could say, are a little bit threatened by the Clippers in recent years with with the arena situation um, in Inglewood. Those leaked emails where Jeannie Buss refers to Steve Ballmer as balls multiple times. Balls. Also. It's LeBron's first season in L.A. They don't make the playoffs. The Clippers do. They're going to be competing head-to-head in free agency. And it looks like the Clippers may have the upper hand. We'll get to that next. But um, just how would you characterize this L.A. rivalry here? I know it's a, it's always going to be a Lakers town, or at least for a while it seems like. But, um, yeah, just what do you see there? This is always going to be a Lakers town. There's no denying that. The Clippers have a long way to go to catch up and, and, and match, even try to match what the Lakers have done. Um, that being said, the Clippers are on a, you know, you got to start somewhere. And they started somewhere with the Chris Paul era, with the Blake Griffin era, the DeAndre Jordan era. And uh, they've recovered well from that. Uh, they've also moved on from the Donald Sterling era, which I think was, was, was a blessing because you've got probably the best owner in sports right now, Steve Ballmer, who I've never seen a guy more <laughs> into a team than Balmer. I mean, he's courtside sitting every single game right next to the Clippers bench. He's talking to Doc often. He's talking to Lawrence often. He's just so engaged with the team. He loves what he really, really loves his team. Uh, he loves the players. He's, he's about high character guys. And I think that's been huge for the Clippers. So they, they've, they've taken the right steps towards becoming a, a, a more respectable franchise than what they've been in, you know, what they've known, what they've been known for in, in past years. I will say that this this arena thing, if they can get this done and build their own arena, it'll be huge for them in terms of 
Uh, right now, they're the third tenants at Staples Center. The LA Kings hockey team, they get first priority on games. Then the LA Lakers get second priority. And the Clippers are pretty much left with whatever dates are left between their games and some concerts. So that's why you see a lot of like, you know, Saturday afternoon games right. and Sunday afternoon games because they're left with whatever's left. And so if you get your own arena, you could probably capitalize and get better times for, for your fans uh, to, to come into games. Uh, that's for one. Uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, for example, yesterday's game. That may have been a, a Clipper home game, but there were Laker fans everywhere. It was probably like 60-40 or 70-30 in favor of Laker fans. So I think it'll be interesting from that aspect to have your own arena, to have, to not worry about those jerseys and the championships hanging from the rafters and, and to sort of build your own identity um, from there, sort of from scratch. Their current arena deal with Staples Center ends in 2024, and I think Ballmer's made it clear that they would like to have their own arena in Inglewood. Uh, that would be close to the new LA Rams and LA Chargers arena in uh, in Inglewood, which would be sort of like a sports a sports hub over there. Sports Central would be insane. Yeah, that that would be uh, crazy. And w- when you were um, talking about Steve Ballmer, also his crazy celebrations courtside, just it's so uncoordinated. Yeah, but he's, it's, he's, he's, he's so, so passionate. It. I've never seen anyone move their it's body authentic. like that. That's the thing. It's it's just yeah. really authentic, and that and that he really enjoys it. He's he he's. I don't even know how to describe him. He's just really authentic. Like I got to speak to him in the pre in the after the draft process, and he's just you know one of the things he touched on with Shea and Jerome Robinson who they selected it was just character. He's really passionate about their character and getting to know these guys, um, not just the draft picks, every one of the players on the team yeah. right now. Um, you know, Patrick Beverly is a guy who really embodies everything Ballmer is about. Um, the same can be said about Montrezl Harrell. He's just a high energy, high motor, high character guy. Uh, and I really, I really think that's been huge for the Clippers in terms of um, building their own identity. Uh, if they can get this arena deal done uh, and move to this Inglewood Arena by twenty twenty four, it would it, it would mean a lot towards building their own identity and, and, and you know yeah, and like you said, that passion and, and enthusiasm I think is just infectious. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, you see him. If you if you see this, you know your favorite team's owner going nuts. That makes you want to go nuts. That makes you want to be passionate about your team. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it just it just makes it just makes it so much better. You know, like the only way I can maybe compare is like Mark Cuban. Yeah. Mark Cuban, you see at every single Mavs games, despite their wins or losses, he's always cheering. He's getting into it with the refs. And look, it might be annoying for for some fans, but it's great to see an owner that engaged and that into the whole process. He's that into his team. He's yeah. that into winning. I think that that's very respectable and admirable. Um, so from that aspect, I just it, it's been incredibly fun to watch Ballmer uh, and what he's done with this team. Yeah, and he did that with Microsoft too, and he'd go on stage and and do crazy stuff to to ride uncoordinated dances. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember those. Um, so big free agency period coming up in the summer. The Clippers haven't really been that secret about how highly they covet Kawhi Leonard. They even got rid of Bruce Bowen as a, a member of the broadcast yeah, team after he was critical of Kawhi Leonard. What are the chances you think they land him? I, I know I'm not saying you, you have any inside information or anything, but wh- how, where would you put their chances? And, and um, is there a second Max guy that you think that they have a decent shot at getting to? I have all the inside information. <laughs> That's why no. we have you on. I mean, 
it's 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 really hard to predict the Kawhi Leonard situation because a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Kawhi is coming, Kawhi is coming." I'm I'm not even sold on that because I just it to me it feels similar to the Paul George situation where Laker fans said, "Oh, Paul George is coming, Paul George is coming." We're, you know he's coming after this no matter what, and he actually decided to stay. He enjoyed the new team he was on and decided to stay, and people were shell shocked. So. I don't think you can just pencil a guy like Kawhi Leonard in, despite what Clippers fans have been doing. I do think that you know these playoffs will tell us a lot. For example, if the Raptors suffer some kind of surprising first round exit, that that could weigh heavily on what Kawhi wants to do. Um, if they win a championship, that could weigh heavily on what Kawhi wants to do. I think all signs are pointing to it, uh, just because he's, as we've seen, he's not this you know big market. Uh, he doesn't want to be the face of the biggest franchise, for example, like the Lakers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he, he'd he be fine being being the face of the Clippers, sort of, you know, secondary team in L.A., um, but one that really has a direction and it, it is building some respectability. Uh, it'd be close to home. Uh, I will say that, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that happened this year, you know, when the Raptors played here, uh, against the Clippers, I think it was like December or something. Kawhi Leonard was injured at the time, and usually injured players don't speak to media. But for whatever reason, uh, Kawhi Leonard made himself available to Clippers media. It was totally up to him. He didn't have to do that at all. So that to me was a sign that you know is this is this something that he's interested in? You know, it, you know, it's, it's just what makes you think. Um, and so with Kawhi, I, I think he would be enough uh, in terms of getting one star. Here's where it gets interesting, you know, like if you can get a secondary star, who would you get and would you get him? Um, because getting him would require you to sort of probably botch up the team as it is. Uh, you'd have to get rid of Gallinari. I don't know some of the other pieces they'd have to get rid of, but they I don't know if they could re-sign Patrick Beverly then, uh, depending on who it is. So in I've been thinking about this and that you can make the case that all they could need is a guy like a Kawhi Leonard, and then you role with this exact roster that they have right now with Gallinari, with Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, uh, you know, you re-sign Pat, uh, you re-sign Zubat, uh, you have Montrezl Harrell, and you just plug this, you plug Kawhi Leonard into this current Clippers team and see how far they can go. I don't know how far they do go, honestly, um, but I just think this team has shown that they deserve a chance, I think, with a potential star um, to, to, see, to see what they can do. And, and look, if Kevin Durant ends up leaving to New York, I mean, I don't think it'd be a stretch to say this Clippers team with Kawhi Leonard could probably reach the conference finals, uh, maybe even the NBA finals, if they stay healthy. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think most people would say Kawhi Leonard is the top three player in the NBA, given what he does yeah, on both sides of the ball. Exactly. He's, he's one of the best two-way players in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and I think people really forgot about how, how good he really was because of that year he had in uh, San Antonio last year. Yeah. I, I will I will admit that even I was one of those who was just like, you know what, does, does Kawhi still have it? Is he still that good? And he's shown everyone that he's still, you know, the one, arguably the top two uh, two-way players with Paul George up there. So um, we'll see how deep the Raptors go in the playoffs and, and if that even matters, if the Raptors – get to the the conference finals or or nba finals and that convinces him to stay or if if Kawhi leonard is consistent with just wanting to be in la and um and also his preference for not wanting to play alongside lebron james that's been talked about that he he kind of wants to be the guy on the court um yeah that's the interesting part it remains to be seen what exactly he wants in terms of 
you know, do you want to stay in that cold Toronto weather? Um, I know Toronto's a great city. I know they have a really good team and they really they have a really solid organization. It, it just depends. Do you want to be closer to home? Do you want to play for for your you know a team closer to home? Uh, do you want to have a chance to rebuild this franchise? And that you know, if Kawhi Leonard leads the Clippers to a championship, I mean his jersey goes up in the rafters almost immediately. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's just a chance for him to really put the Clippers on the map and cement himself as as one of the greats. Um, if he wins a title. Yeah. You know, we could talk about the Clippers all day. And at this rate, we we kind of are headed that way. So um, just the last question, and I really appreciate your time. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. appreciate you having me. My pleasure. The last thing is just about Danilo Gallinari. He's having a career year at 30 years old, really injury prone over the course of his career, but he's largely stayed healthy this season. Um, he's an impending free agent, as you alluded to. What do you think is his future with the team? That's that's the tough part because as I talked about earlier, if if you get yourself two guys in free agency, Gallinari's got to go. And I know I, I know there was worry on his end in terms of the trade deadline when Tobias was traded. He was one of the guys who was like, "All right, am, am I next? You know, are, are we are we blowing this up?" He doesn't like to call himself injury prone. He's had a couple of. Uh, very unlucky injuries, I will say that. Uh, last year's injury bug was uh, a bit of a misdiagnosis of his glute injury, and it caused him to miss an extra eight weeks for pretty much no reason. So I, that was a bit of a weird injury. Um, the hand, like you know, he shot faked, and Draymond Green's elbow came down on his on his on his the back of his palm and fractured his hand. That's just one of those freak injuries that you know you can't really prevent. It's just basketball. It's it's a contact sport. Stuff like stuff like that's going to happen. It's easy to say if Gallinari stays healthy, he's he should be on this team uh, because, you know, based off his injury history, he's had a hard time staying healthy. Um, but if he does stay healthy, I think I really think this team uh, with a Kawhi Leonard is good enough to make a lot, make significant noise in the playoffs. And and I think the benefit of that is that in keeping Gallinari, you also get to keep the other guys around and in Lou and in, in in Trez, who I know they're signed. But, you know, you don't have to maybe work around trading them to make room for another guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or try to mm-hmm. try to fill out a roster. And I just think you can really make a case for the Clippers trying to keep Gallinari, uh, trying to limit his minutes throughout the regular season. If this Again, this is if you get a Kawhi Leonard. And, and just trying to go from there and, and work with him from there. Uh, because, again, if, if, if you want to get two stars, you're going to have to trade him and sort of butcher up the roster. Um, so the Clippers certainly have a lot of decisions to make this summer, and, and we really will not know what's going to happen until uh, the Raptors are eliminated or if they win the championship. Uh, we just we just won't know at all. So it'll be interesting to see. There's so many hypotheticals, but I would rather the Clippers keep Gallinari than add a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's had a history of knee injuries, and uh, he's he's getting a little bit older and probably would demand a max salary. Jimmy Butler is That's 29 it. years old right now, but he's, his body is probably more like a 34-year-old based off the uh, Chicago Bulls and Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, Tom Thibodeau days. Yeah. Uh, and again, yeah, like you said, he would command a max contract, which I don't know that you want to pay a guy. Honestly, I, do, I don't know that they would pay a guy like him a max contract because look, if they weren't willing to pay a thirty, what was it, thirty three, thirty four year old Chris Paul, yeah, a uh, you know, if if an, an extra year on the deal uh, for the max, then I don't know why they'd sort of commit to Butler, who's had the injury history, 
who's had the sort of locker room and character issues. Look, he's a great player. He's a great two-way player. Um, his availability, though, is just is just a big question mark on him. And I don't know if you want to get into all that. Conversely, you put Butler with Leonard. Maybe the rest of the squad doesn't matter as much if he's healthy. If he's healthy and and brings a positive attitude can be a really yeah, good pairing but there's just yeah there's so many hypotheticals it's possible. i mean i don't want to rule it out i don't i really don't right, want to rule but it there out are definitely really talented players. yeah there are concerns with it i would agree yeah it's just i don't i don't know that you want to get into a guy who get with a guy who's been you know he's had locker room issues in chicago had locker room issues in philly he's had locker room issues in I mean, it, pretty much everywhere he's gone and i don't know that you really want to get yourself into that that's aside the yeah. besides the injury we'll, we'll end it there to be continued but great talking with you <laughs> and we'll pay close attention to what the Clippers do in the first round of the playoffs but um, just a, a phenomenal season from them and great job covering them as well. Thank you, I appreciate it.